0: those of you who are guests thank you for being here we we tend to go through one book of the bible you okay oh, yes yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one book of the bible at a time and so um right now we're going through the book of judges which i love and i'll be honest and say i, I love most of the books of the bible that it's just kind of i would probably not make a very good preacher if i didn't like the bible There there are a few that I like better than others. I try not to read the book of Job because bad things always seem to happen to me. That's a church joke. If you've ever read the book of Job, bad things happen to him the entire book. Um, But I do love the, the book of Judges. And the primary reason I love the book of Judges is because I was a youth minister for 20 years. So I worked with teenagers. And the book of Judges is every teenage boy's favorite book of the Bible because it is violent, and it is disgusting, um, and it is just awesome. And tonight's story is no exception to that. So uh, Will is going to operate the Scripture behind me, and I'm going to read from my Bible because I prefer to read from my Bible rather than uh, reading that text. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, You'll find the Scripture behind me. You'll see the Scripture on the piece of paper in front of you, and then also there should be Bibles around you somewhere. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of those with you. Uh, could somebody tell me what the Tapestry Bible page number is? I think it's 740 something. 174 in here. 174? <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. So once I, I'm reversing the setting. 174. It should be page number 174. So, Judges chapter 6. There we go. says the following. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, and and this is a, a, a statement that if you read the book of Judges, you're going to see again and again and again. We're going to talk about it a little bit more here in just a second. Um, but that's a very familiar statement in the book of Judges. Uh, people of God follow God, and then they kind of forget about God, and they cry, the people of God cry out to God when bad things happen. So unlike us. When the Israelites cried to the... <laughs> wow! <laughs> Heidi, I didn't do that. (laughs) Ah, that was good. They cried out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of, I'm going to say Oprah, it is not Oprah, it is Oprah. Um, Ophrah, excuse me, um, that belonged to Joaz the Abrazite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Let me repeat that. Threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Once again, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us uh, into the, the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now, what I've been encouraging everyone to do is to, to read the Scripture because uh, we typically go verse by verse through this and instead we're kind of going story by story. And some of these stories are a little longer than, than others. Um, so I try to hit on one point, but I've been encouraging people to, to read the rest. So like this week I would encourage you to read uh, the 6th and the 7th chapter, uh, which is the story of Gideon, which is an amazing story. Uh, but we want to hit on some, some, some specific things tonight that the whole story kind of relates to. To do that, uh, whoops, actually I don't know if this connected or not because we got in such a rush today. So why don't you hit it for me? This is a drawing some of you have seen many times that I drew I think the first night uh, here. It is a way of, of thinking of this cycle that t- t- takes place in the book of Judges. Almost 13 times in various forms and other, this cycle happens. And basically what happens is everything is great and the people of God forget about God. So God sends an oppressor. They are oppressed and it's by different people. Uh, To be honest, the the most powerful one is the very first one and he's barely mentioned at all. And then it's more weak uh, oppressors, but the people of Israel can't fight against them very well. So they cry out for help, which is at the bottom there. And it literally do- doesn't mean they repent. It doesn't mean, oh, they corrected themselves from from forgetting God. It just means, actually, truthfully, what Charlie just did. I don't know why Charlie cried. What we know is he cried out. And, and what the Scripture indicates is they just cry out. Oh! Oh! Oh, and God responds so often we tend to think that God only responds if we uh, we correct ourselves, and there is truth to that God wants us uh, to, the religious word is to repent, it literally means to take a step this way and turn around a hundred and eighty degree turn, but God is a parent, and what parent, if you hear your child uh, cry out in pain, is just going to respond with well i'm not going to you know turn that fire off until you you confess People of God cry out to God and He responds. And He responds by sending a judge. Uh, it, it, we think of, of a modern day judge. And there is a little bit of truth to that. We talked about Deborah last week. That happens. But it, it usually means a military or political leader. And that judge leads them and they defeat whoever the oppressed. Night, it happens, and God, instead of initially sending a judge, he sends a prophet. Now, sometimes in, in modern language, because of the fact that we're not Hebrew, we, we tend to think of prophets in a way that is not biblical. Uh, when I was growing up, there was this, this Jamaican lady who turns out she wasn't Jamaican at all. She was from New York and, and was just like a New Yorker. But apparently, she could fake a good Jamaican accent. And I cannot remember her name now Sister Cleo. Was it Miss Cleo? I thought it was sister. Okay, Miss Cleo. And Miss Cleo would would speak to you and tell you what your future was. She was was a prophet. The problem is is that's not what prophecy means. We so often think of prophecy as foretelling, as in this is going to happen in the future. But realistically what prophecy usually means is foretelling. Think, thus saith the Lord. It's the King James Version of saying it. What it means is, God says, Hey, I told you to do this. And then every now and then what will happen is, and if you don't correct it, this is what's going to happen in the future. But the future thing is not the important thing. God's saying, correct it. I don't want this to happen. Correct it. If you don't change the oil in your car, your engine is going to seize. Am I a prophet if your engine seizes? Yes, but the whole point is to get you to change the oil in your car. So the prophet comes. God sends a prophet, a messenger, and this is what that messenger says. Will, would you hit the next slide since I can't control it? it says, the says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Thus saith the Lord. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. People of, of God cry out, they cry out and they say, Woe is us! And God has sent a judge. This time he sends a prophet. And what the prophet does is just simply reminds them. I've saved you before. Because you would think after the times that we've just read. We've gone through four, uh, four judges. We've gone through four judges really, really quick. But each time the people of God forget Israel and an oppressor happens. And they cry out to God and say, help us. And what does God do? helps you would think after a while they would start crying out saying god we know you will help us rather than just forgetting god so he sends a prophet to run that's one of the the, truthfully the biggest things that we need to do as a church and so often i think we think this is what our faith is about this is not what our faith is about i love sunday nights I, I, I love what we do here as a group. I love the fact that I have to chase you in from outside and then I have to chase you away from the coffee. That, that is wonderful and thrilling. But to be honest, if we spent all week just singing songs and, and then, then doing sermons to one another, I mean, that might be fun, but that's not what Christianity is about. Jesus did not spend all his time in the synagogue. He did spend his time in the synagogue. We know that. But he did not spend all his time in the synagogue. Instead he went out and he lived faith in his father in his environment. See the point of, of this is for us to remind each other who God is and who he wants us to be. And You don't just remind somebody just so they know it. You remind them so that they live it. Now, many of you know that, that, that I, I was born and raised in Alabama. If, you can't, if you're a guest and you can't tell that I have a southern accent, thank you. <laughs> I, I have a southern accent. There's certain words that I have very, a great deal of difficulty saying, and they come out every now and then. And a few people in the room mock me at that point and are like, well, you don't understand what you're saying, Robert. But it's okay because you have bad accents also. <laughs> you just don't recognize them. Go down south and try to say the word milk, and you'll get laughed at. <laughs> I say it right. <laughs> I say milk. You guys say milk. I have no earthly idea where, a, where milk comes from, but milk comes from a cow. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> so, see, we try to remind each other. And, and that's true in Scripture. Matter of fact, if you really think about it, most of what Scripture says is just repeating what has been said before. It It happens a lot. Uh, the, the, the cornerstone of being a Jew would be the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And it's repeated over and over and over and over and over. Because so often, even though we're told to hear which is literally what Shema means in Hebrew, it just means hear, we don't hear. Think of how often during the day you listen to someone, but you never hear them. I'm I'm a part-time chaplain at the hospital. I've actually been at the hospital about seven hours today uh, on call, Uh, some of which was very important. I was very thankful to be there. One situation was not very important and I was a little frustrated. <laughs> and, and the problem is, is when I got frustrated, I went from listening to just being there. I'm not saying that it's something I'm proud of. Even though uh, they called me for something that wasn't important, it was important to them and I didn't hear it. Think of how often you are just there and your ears are working but your mind is not engaged in it. If we treat each other like that, how dare we treat God like that? Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm sort of in that spot right now because I keep thinking about this one hurt. And I to, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's Okay. They did. So I don't understand why he says this. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I well, know they gave them the land. I understand that, but they didn't just go there and, and occupy it. No, they had to take it. They did take it. Now, some of that is we tend to think of of uh, nations then being na- like nations now. The ancient Near East at that time was mainly nomadic tribes, so not most of it was not like this is the people of Jan. And we've been here for generations. When somebody moved out, other people moved in. So realistically what was happening was the people of Israel went in and they chased out people who had moved in after uh, the, uh, Abraham and his seed had left. They had been there before. They left uh, because of the fact that there was going to be a huge famine. were made slaves in Egypt and they were coming back to a land that had been promised to them and they had been there before. Does that make a little more sense? Generations, yes. And like in this case, the Midianites would not have just gone, oh, this land is, take, or is no longer taken. I'll take that. I'll stay there for hundreds of years. No, they had just kind of moved in. Such as the Philistines, who were mentioned for the very first time uh, last time, actually during the Bu- Book of Judges, they became a people during the 400 years that the Book of Judges was, was taking place. Uh, so this is not um, us coming in and taking over Native American land. This is uh, land that is just transferred nonstop, and somebody finally coming in and saying, "This is us." Does, to be completely honest, what the Israelites did would have been completely common for the ancient Near East in that region. Why, why didn't they, the people who were there? I mean, and there were lots and lots of different tribes. Why didn't they leave when the Israelites came? Some of them did, but God also said, "Kick them out of the land." And I'll go ahead and tell you. My strongest, the, what I struggle with the most in the Old Testament is I, I don't understand that all the time. I understand why God did it. Why God told them to do it was, what he said was, if you leave them here in your land, they're going to cause you to sin. And that became true. I don't know why it wasn't done another way. I, I would say, because what God is most concerned about is his people following him. That's the biggest Issue as far as God's concerned. Uh, he wanted Israel to be a group of people who followed him wholly. And then they would be, truthfully, he describes them with, with uh, the Egyptians as, you will be like gods to them. And there were I- Egyptians who started following Yahweh because of that. Think of uh, Moses uses the thing where he lifts a stake, uh, a, a stake. Can you tell I'm hungry? <laughs> a snake up. Uh, and it says, if you look at the snake, you'll be healed and then Jesus is, is uh, compared to that snake and it says, you know if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Well God needed to have a group of people who were really following him first for people to then come and be a part of. But that still doesn't answer a lot of the violence in the Old Testament and I, I don't have a perfect answer. I trust that God is good because I've seen that he's good but I don't understand some of the violence that takes well, place in the Old right. Testament. except for you are a 21st century person. I mean, that it, realistically the case is, is what happens here, is the people in the ancient Near East are so much like us, and yet they're nothing like us at the exact same time. We're not used to violence taking place. They are. This was a violent society. The real thing is, the real question that bothers me is, if the people of God had followed God and not forgotten him, would the violence have ever been necessary? I actually don't put the blame for the violence on God. I put it on, on the people of God. If they'd really been following Him, there never would have been a case for for, for the violence to begin with. Yeah, but he really he did. He, he did. I completely agree, Jan. Does that, does that help? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. All right. yeah I kept Anybody else want to share something before I, I jump back on this? Okay. So, here... Next slide, please. This is what I want you to hit on. We are, we are discussing Gideon. And this is this great story of, of faith and doubt in the midst of it. Gideon is visited by an angel of the Lord, and that, Lord is refer- or that angel is referenced to as the Lord. Because all angel, if you look up the, the Greek word angelos, which this is not Greek, this is Hebrew, but it's still the same meaning, it just means messenger. So, like this one has wings. We technically don't even know if angels have wings. There are holy creatures that are described in in, uh, the Old and New Testament, uh, cherubim and seraphim, which have wings. Uh, They are never specifically mentioned as angels. They are mentioned as holy creatures. Angels are holy creatures. Are all holy creatures angels? I know that's confusing. What I know is all angels are messengers of God. So when they speak, they're not speaking their own words. They are speaking God's words, which is why Gideon can then go, this is the Lord. Because it is the Lord. God is speaking through this angel. And when this angel greets Gideon, does anybody remember what he says? Or what actually angels are without sex. I don't want to call it an it. <laughs> what Shem says? Does anybody, re- I don't know what to call <laughs> What the angel says. Does anybody remember? I love this. He says, next slide, please. I'll go to the next one. <laughs> We'll go go to the next one. We'll come back to this. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And this is why this is important. Next slide, please. This is where Gideon was. He was described as threshing wheat in a wine press. And a wine press then would have typically been, if it was a bigger wine press, would have been like this, which would have been big enough for, for quite a few people to be in. And they would have had a stone that they rolled around it while the wine went down into pots that would be put in the center there. They would throw all the grapes in and they would crush the, the grapes with the stone that is just pushed around it constantly while more grapes are put in. This is big. The problem is is that he's threshing wheat. And the way you thresh wheat looks more like this. Would you do the next slide, please? You go onto an open plain. You form all your wheat in there, and then you take what would be called Uh, one of the nations, and I do not remember which nation it is, is described as threshing an entire city. And what they would have had was a threshing stone would have been a big, a big heavy stone that ha- they had put uh, sp- uh, spikes of iron into. And they would roll it over the wheat. Does anybody know why? Then that, the woman there has a winnowing stick. She would take it and she would throw it up in the air. Why would you do that? Yeah, you want the wind to blow it. You throw it up there, and the chaff blows over here because it's lighter than the seed, and the seed drops back, and you just keep on throwing it up. Just keep on throwing it up. And the wind is doing doing its job, and then you actually have the chaff over here, which is a wonderful fire source that they would use because, you know, if you're on a farm, you use everything. Um, But they're throwing it up all the time. Can you show that wine press again? Can you go back a slide? All right, what I just described. How would that work in a wine press? So what is... What would what we call Gideon? Coward. Yes. We would call him a coward. And it even says it in the Scripture. You don't even need me to just point this out. It says, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? To keep it from the Midianites. Because they were coming in and they were stealing the food. He was not some brave guy that you're just thinking, wow, Gideon is going to take care of business. He's conniving. He's the one saying... I I'm just going to make sure. I know this doesn't work, but I just want to make sure there's food. I just want to make sure there's food. And the angel greets him. Doesn't just say, don't worry, I'm going to take care of everything. Greets him. Think of how you greeted each other when you came in. I I greeted some of you. Hi, my name's Robert. You know, you say something nice at the beginning and such. The angel greeted him by saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You read the rest of the story of Gideon, and and Gideon doubts that. Gideon says, the Lord's with us, all this stuff has happened, but God starts to use him. Could you go back to those two scriptures that I I bounced us over? Uh, The first one is the very first thing that God uses him to do. God basically says, hey, I'm going to prove that I'm with you, go do this. It's the wonderful way that God proves he's with us. He says, hey, you go do this, and that'll prove I'm with you, because you don't have the strength to do it on your own, I'll give you the strength. And, and what he tells them to do is to go and destroy the altar and the Asherah pole. Uh, Canaanite religion on a whole was basically a fertility religion, which basically meant that there was a male deity and a female deity, and worship was basically convinced them to copulate, and that would cause uh, the, um, the crops to grow And so you would typically have a male altar and you would have something for the female also. Asherah would be the female deity. It was typically a pole, but sometimes it could be a stone that looked like a pole uh, that then would have very crude, not crude as in rude, I mean crude as in roughly cut uh, uh, things that were supposed to make it look more feminine, maybe shape, something like that. Uh, Quite often it was not very uh, well done. But it would usually be like that, probably about that high. And the altar would be exactly what you'd think. It'd be a place to sacrifice. And God says, hey, I'm with you. Go destroy the altar and go pull down the pole. That's how God tells Gideon, I'm with you. He doesn't even kind of, you know, just doubt anything. He says, go in the strength you have. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to have lots of strength. He just says, go in the strength you have. How much strength do you have right now? Some of us in the room right now are really, really tired. Some of us in the room, you you just had a very refreshing day. Maybe you got three naps today. Some of us, you're just worn out. Sundays for me are, are, are a bit of a busy day, but today has been a more busy day than normal. I was at the hospital this morning at about 7.45, and every time I thought I could leave i uh, ended up coming back in uh, emotional nature draw it drains me to be honest i love being a part of uh, of being there with god when people are in pain and being a reminder but at the same time it drains me today i'm tired usually when i'm here with you i'm just energized and i know right now i'm exerting a lot of energy it's because i'm tired (laughs) so i'm just doing this um but you know, there are other days where you just have tons of energy. He doesn't say, don't worry, I'm going to refresh you, everything's going to be great. He says, go in the strength you have. Because God will use what we have and he'll do more than, more than we think we can do. So Gideon, this mighty warrior, the very first thing he does is he offends everyone in his city. Read the rest of the story. They want to kill him. These are not his enemies. These are his friends. The very first thing God does with this mighty warrior is he says, Hey, little coward boy, you're actually a mighty warrior. Go and destroy what is offending me in your city. And after he does that, God uses them to do something even more spectacular. Could you do the next slide? If you read this, God takes a, a mass of people And whittles them down to 300. And then he defeats all of the Midianites. Without them ever doing anything. This wonderful story. Where where, uh, basically God says. "All right, take a a torch. And a pot. And a horn. And surround the Midianites. And break the pot. So they see the torch and blow the horns. And shout. And uh, they will defeat each other. And the Midianites destroy each other. Because of this mighty warrior see so often could you go back to the last uh, to, not back forward to the last mighty warrior we forget that it's not what we think about ourselves that's most important it's what he thinks about us so often we think I need to become a mighty warrior But the way you become a mighty warrior is by God declaring you to be a mighty warrior and then you live it out. Gideon didn't become a mighty warrior by training and and, and perfecting everything. He became a mighty warrior because he said, well, God believes in me, I'll do it. And if you really look at the story of what he did, it was stupid. He went and he destroyed the altar of his city offending all of the people that he should have been gathering to support him. And it worked. He he gathers a huge army and then he listens when God says, yeah, I don't want that many people. I want far less than that. He became a mighty warrior because God said he was a mighty warrior and then Gideon was just dumb enough to actually believe that God was good enough to do what he said. I mean, if we use our common sense, we know that's not the way the world works. But God is not about common sense. He did. And that's what I love. See, so often, I I think we think doubt and faith are, are the opposite. But I actually think doubt, quite often, is very much a part of faith. He didn't ask God to prove himself by saying, yeah, I'm not going to go do that. What he said was, if this is true, would you do this? There is doubt that's like, no, I can't do that, God. No, that could never happen. There's also doubt of, I want to believe. Help me to believe. There's this wonderful story in the New Testament where, where Jesus is met by a man who wants him to heal his daughter. And Jesus responds with, to him who believes all things are possible, do you believe? And the man's response is, I believe, help me with my unbelief. See, God using you, God using me, is not about how great our faith is. It's about how true he is to his promises. So I, I want to introduce you to a term. Can you do the, um, the, the dog picture, please? Now, take a second look at the photo. You should see something in the center. (laughs) Now, this is attributed to Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where I actually heard it first. Uh, I've done some reading, and they don't say it came from them. They just use it. And it's called fake it till you make it, which can have a negative concept to it because we're like, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be fake. But there is truth to this when it's done right. The, the Alcoholics Anonymous, the way they use it, the alcohol, <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous, not the Alcoholics Anonymous, the way they use it is it, when you don't feel like you're, you're, you, know, you can just be sober on your own, you, you stay sober, you fake it till you make it. I use it as a runner. Okay? I'm not a very fast runner. I'm a very slow runner. I had been passed by people who should not be able to pass me the very first marathon I, I ever ran. I passed one individual and he, he passed me back and he, he literally looked at, my, uh, looked at me and he said, you didn't think I was going to let that stand, did you? <laughs> it was just awful. It was a terrible experience. <laughs> Devin's laugh. I mean, you guys, you don't know how, how humiliating it is for me. But see, the thing is, is this. I'm not a fast runner. But I train like I am. Because I want to be. The the saying, fake it till you make it. If you're a Batman fan, next slide. Actually, the new Batman uses it all the time. It says it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. The the Jesus statement, this is not actually Jesus. This is a theologian who says it, but would you do this? It uh, It is not who I say I am, but who he says that defines me. See, the thing is... That so often we want to be good enough for him, but we fail to realize that he's declaring who we are and we just need to live out who he says we are. 1 Peter 2, 9, would you hit that? It says this, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So often, you know, if I was just a better Christian, I, I could share my faith with somebody. Every now and then I'll hear people say, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so amazed by, by so-and-so who serves so much or by, by this other person who just gives so much, I just wish I could be like that. Do you know how you become like that? You fake it till you make it. The thing is, though, the only thing we're faking is that we actually believe what God said about it. God says that you are a chosen person. And I don't know about you, but there are times where I don't feel chosen and special. God says that we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. What is a priest? What is the purpose of a priest? Let me change that. Because some of you are Catholic and you're like, hey, it's the person with the white spot on his collar and, and you know, he, he walks around and you just know he's a priest because of the white spot. No, what is the purpose of a priest? Yeah, a, a priest literally is, and this is not just, just Catholicism, this is priest for, for all religions. Priest stands between you and God. Scripture says that we we don't need a mediator. A priest and a mediator would be the same. We don't need another mediator anymore because Jesus is our mediator now. Literally, Jesus stands before the Father for us, so our mediator is God now. But God calls us, not just a select group, He calls us a royal priesthood. In other words, there are people that you stand in between them and God because they have no other connection with God right now that there are people you see in your life that have no way no other way of knowing God at this point except for you and I don't know about you but there are times where I don't feel qualified to do that and that may sound weird to you since I'm a pastor but guys I still struggle with the same stupid stuff you struggle with you want you want to talk about feeling unqualified uh, many of you know that I am I am finishing, I have finished my dissertation, but it is uh, being edited by, actually, that's not true. It has been edited by my faculty mentor, and I'm putting in the corrections, and then I'll send it to a board, and hopefully, eventually, I will be, you'll have to call me Dr. Shepherd Bob instead of just Shepherd Bob. Um, But to give you an idea of what I struggle with, I didn't make it past the first, uh, first page, my title page, without a correction. My title page has the name of the church in it, I misspelled the name of the church. Our church. church. (laughs) The church that I started, I misspelled. (laughs) (laughs) Tapestry? (laughs) T-A-P-E-S-T-R-Y. I left out the R. (laughs) Do you understand why every now and then I would go, I'm not qualified. Those were not the answers I was looking for. (laughs) There are people around you who have huge needs. You have neighbors who have huge needs, you have friends who have huge needs and huge struggles. There are people walking on the street who have desperate needs and struggles and hardships. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel qualified to deal with them. God is not looking for the qualified. The old statement is, is He qualifies the called. Gideon is a guy like... Like you. Ladies, he's not a guy like you because you're a lady. But, but he's a person just like you. He's not this brave guy who's just ready to go fight Midian. He's the guy hiding in the wine press just trying to get enough grain to make some bread. And God says, you are a mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have. Go in the resources you have. And I'll take care of the rest. Now for some of us in the room, we, we understand that struggle. And we're like, I need God to, get, to do more than I think is possible. And for some of us in the room, every now and then it becomes real easy to think, you know what, I'm, I'm more mature than I used to be. And the danger there is we can start doing things only in our strength and not expecting God to do more. For those of us in the room who've been following Christ for some time, He should be calling us to challenges that scare us. Not just when you're, you're 16, not just when you're 24, but when you're, when you're 40 and you're 60 and you're 80. Not because God wants to scare us, but because God wants to do more through you than you ever thought was possible. I, I say this a lot, but the people we call heroes and we call saints in here, they weren't special. They were ordinary. They just said yes. So, before I end, anybody have anything that needs to be added? Yes, ma'am. I have a question. When yeah. you said that he's the lead to the family, does that mean Uh Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? So basically towards the end, uh, Gideon was basically the guy. Who <laughs> okay. I don't know if he was able to use duct tape in ways that I never thought of. But <laughs> <laughs> MacGyver, I like that. <laughs> yeah, and paper clips. I don't know that he was able to come up with lots of different things. Anybody else? Okay, then I'm just going to end with this. Because there are lots of things in our, our area that we can make a difference on. And I believe God wants us to be a part of that. See, again, Gideon. Gideon proclaimed a faith in uh, God. He didn't know him as Christ at that point, but, but I think this still speaks to Christ because Christ took the ordinary and did extraordinary things through them. Uh, he, he, he claimed people that others had rejected and he used them to do magnificent things. Just look at his disciples. So one thing I can guarantee you about all of his disciples is they've been considered unworthy by another rabbi. They were all rejects from another rabbi and he looks at them and says, oh, I can use you. And he does amazing things through them. Most of them were considered unworthy by each other. Too. Yes. Well, especially, hey, Matthew the tax collector would have probably been hated by everybody in the room. Versus, especially versus Simon the Zealot. Yeah. <laughs> God takes those that everyone else thinks can't be used and he does amazing things through them. And he just simply says this. Would you hit the next slide? He says, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's land. Am I not sending it? Go in the strength you have. And God will do amazing things through it. Because he will take that strength. And he will make it more than you ever thought possible. Not because you're that strong. But because he's that strong. Go in the strength you have. And God will make sure that your neighbors have beds. Go in the strength you have, that's a specific one, I'm sorry. Jan is taking care of some neighbors right now who need beds. Go in the strength you have and the hungry will be fed. Because a dollar a month can then feed 300 kids in Nicaragua. Go in the strength you have and the lonely will find hope and purpose. Because you will be there, but you will, even more importantly than that, hopefully introduce them to Jesus Christ. See, he's not looking for you to be spectacular. He's looking to make you spectacular. But we have to say yes. So we're going to sing, but before we sing, all I want to say is what I believe God says. Go be a mighty warrior. Because that's what he says you are. Pray with me, please. Father, help us to believe you on what you say about us. That we are loved. That we are forgiven. That we are strong. That we are holy. When we begin to forget that, send a prophet to us speak those words to us again and remind us and then help us to live out what you have said about us help us help us to live out that forgiveness that love that strength help us to be mighty warriors i pray this in your son's name because he has chosen us amen let's please sing